got your scriptures and like to follow along will be in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 starting in verse 1. We know this is the Sermon on the Mount and Christ is speaking. He says, Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corner of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut the door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when thou pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them. For your Father knoweth what things ye have in need of before ye ask him. After this, after this manner, therefore pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou fast, anoint thy head and wash thy face, that thou appear unto men not that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Lay not up for yourself treasures upon the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But we're going to stop right there. I don't know that we'll make it through all that today. But we're going to try This is a, a continuation of the Sermon on the Mount where Christ presented the Beatitudes and he goes on and he, he talks about uh, how we are to behave and how we are to present ourselves to men. He says in verse 46, chapter 5, says, For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans do the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans do so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Be mature. And then he says, take heed. Pay attention. Listen to what I'm going to say. You know, he's telling us this is important. A lot of times, you know, when you're in school today, the teachers will always say this. You might want to take notes on this take heed that you do your alms that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them otherwise you have no reward of your father which is in heaven now alms I think a lot of times we think of alms we think basically of the giving of money but that's not true an alms is an act of mercy Anything that you do that is an act of mercy, it can be giving of your money. It can also be giving, though, of your time and of your substance. Uh, it can be helping to feed or clothe someone. 
anything that would be considered an act of mercy, an act of giving, is uh, considered an alms. So it says when you, when you do your alms, when you do the things that you help to benefit others, it says don't do them to be seen of men. Now he's not saying not to do them. And he's certainly not saying don't do them if somebody can see you. But he's saying don't make your purpose in doing them to be seen. You know, if you want to help someone, a, a homeless person, maybe they're on the, the street corner that you see and you, you feel uh, uh, the urge to go and, and somehow maybe take them and buy them a meal or to give them some money to, to help them buy a meal. Don't stop and holler for all the people around you and say, look what I'm fixing to do. It's not wrong to be seen, but don't make that your purpose. He goes on and he says, Therefore when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the street corners. It was a practice of the Pharisees back then that when they got ready, especially the wealthy, when they got ready to give their tithe to the church, they would have somebody blow a trumpet. So everybody would look around and they could see him as they were putting their money into the plate. And they could be seen of, of all those that were around. Now you think, well, that's, that's kind of an old-fashioned thing. People don't do that anymore, you know. But I used to work in a restaurant many years ago where in the area where they served adult beverages, there was a bell hanging on a post there. And whenever somebody would give a big tip, the bartender would ring the bell and point at them and point them out. And it's surprising how many people then would come and put some money in the jar so the bartender would ring the bell for them. They weren't there to do something good for the servers there. They were there to be seen. They have their reward. Being seen of men is their reward. He said, don't do that. Don't sound the trumpet. Don't draw attention to yourself. It's not that it's wrong to do those things. We are certainly supposed to help and support those around about, especially those that are less fortunate than we are. But don't do it in order to be seen. If you do, you have your reward. But when thou doest it, let not your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You ever tried to do something without one hand not knowing what the other's doing? I mean, you got to be pretty slick to be able to do that, okay? <laughs> you got to really be careful how you do things. When you do acts of mercy, when you do things to support the less fortunate or those that are in need, do it quietly. Don't make a big deal out of it. Don't let others know what you're doing. You ever see people that maybe they're on the 6 o'clock news just gave $5 million to the hospital going to build a new wing for the cancer patients. Oh, how great this man is. What a wonderful person he is. He's got his reward. Men are going to look at him and think, oh, wasn't that benevolent of him? Men are going to put his name on a, on a plaque outside the door of the hospital. That is his reward. Don't be like that. Give the $5 million. Do it. Go to the president of the hospital in his office in quiet. Here's the money. This is what it's for. Don't mention my name. Don't ever tell anybody what I did. And leave. So when you do that, it says... The God who sees in secret will reward you openly. Don't do the things you do to be seen 
by men, but rather do them to be seen by God in secret. And when thou pray, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Is he saying it's wrong to pray while you're standing? No. No. Probably at the end of this service we'll stand and sing a song and we'll call on somebody to dismiss us in prayer and I'm pretty sure they'll pray while they're standing up. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Is he saying not to pray in public? No. When, you, when you're out at the Cracker Barrel with your family and the waitress brings your food and you're getting ready to eat, there's absolutely nothing wrong with bowing your head and giving thanks for the food that God has provided you. In fact, I think it's appropriate that you do that. On the other hand, if you're out at the Cracker Barrel and they bring your food and you stand up at the end of the table and you begin to pray so loudly that everybody in the restaurant can hear you, and I, I really have to question whether you're thanking God for your food or whether you're seeking the approval of those around you. When you pray, do not do it standing in the synagogues or in the corners to be seen of men. And that's the, the key phrase all through here is to be seen of men. We are not to do the things that we do in order to be seen of of those round about us. We are to do it to honor and praise God. But when you pray, enter into thy closet. And when you have shut the door, pray to the Father which is in secret that the Father that seeth in secret will reward you openly. Go into your closet. Closet here, I believe, is just a private place, a quiet place. I don't think you really have to go into a closet in your house. Although I'm not saying that would be a bad idea. I remember years ago, this church went some of us did anyway as a group and we saw a, a movie at the theater called The War Room. And you might remember that. And this lady in the war room had literally taken a closet in her house and had turned it into a place to pray. She put her a chair and a light. She had her prayer request up. She had her Bible verses up. And that's where she went to do war with the devil. There's a lot to be said for that. But it doesn't have to be a, a closet. Somewhere quiet that you can go to pray. It may be on your drive home from work. Turn the radio off. And spend time with God. Maybe on a, on a creek bank. Maybe out on the bank of a pond. Where you can get away from the noise of the world. This time of year it may be sitting in a deer stand. There's something to me about going out very early in the morning like that and getting in a stand. Still dark. It's very quiet. Nothing's moving. And to pray and spend time with God. And then be there as his creation begins to wake up in the morning. To me, there's nothing like that. Find somewhere that is quiet. That you can go and you can be with God and you can do battle with Satan. He says, go somewhere quiet. Go into your closet and pray in secret that your Father will then reward you openly. And when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathens do. 
for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. Now, that word vain, it just means empty. Things that have no meaning to you. I, I think about some of our people in a in a different order that, you know, they they'll say they're fifty Hail Marys and they're fifty Our Fathers, and they just make that repetition over and over. Now, if there is no meaning, if, if they're doing it as an act of repentance and there is no meaning and there is no true repentance there, if they are not true, then they are just using a vain repetition over and over. And I don't want to pick just on them. I'm going to tell you that when we sometimes teach our children to pray, what do we teach them? Now I lay me down to sleep, right? Or... Uh, God is good, God is great, let us thank Him for our food. These little prayers that we teach our children, it's wonderful to teach them how to pray, but if they continue to grow up and they just use those prayers over and over and over and there are no meaning in them, they have become vain repetitions to those children. Rather, we need to teach our children how to pray in earnest. How to pray for the things that have meaning to them and that will draw them closer to God. Don't use vain repetitions as the heathens do. For they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. I remember when I was a kid, we'd go to church and there was this one brother there that we knew if they called on him to dismiss service, lunch was going to be a half hour late. You know? <laughs> We just knew it because he just loved to hear himself talk. And he would pray, and he would pray, and he would pray. We don't have to use a lot of words when we pray. Luke chapter 18, and in verse 12, Christ says, A certain nobleman. No, I'm sorry, I've got the wrong verse. Eighteen, chapter ten, first, uh, chapter eighteen, verse ten. Excuse me, Luke, eighteen, ten. Two men went up the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee, and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and he prayed thus with himself: God, I thank thee that I'm not like others extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this publican. And can't you just hear this Pharisee just going on and on and on with his prayer? But yet the publican, he says, the, the Pharisee goes on and says, I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven. Rather, he smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalted himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. The Lord said, this man went down justified. That prayer is seven words you can say it in about two seconds it's not the length of the prayer it's not how much or how many words that you can say but it's your attitude in prayer it's humbling yourself before God They think they should be heard for their much speaking. It says, Be there, be ye therefore not, be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have in need of. You don't have to have a great long prayer to tell God everything that you need. He already knows. 
verse 25 of the same chapter, right here in chapter 6. Therefore I say unto you, take no heed for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, not for your body, what ye shall put, put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? For behold, the fowls of the air they do not sow, neither do they reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them, and are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to your stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He said, why are you taking need, heed for the, for the things that you need? God knows what we are in need of. And He has promised to take care of us. There are even times, I, I dare say, when you have trouble praying. I do. Whether, it, whether I'm so tired or whether I'm so concerned, distraught, whatever it is, there, there are times that you get ready to pray and you just don't have the words. Romans chapter 8 verse 26. Well, back up to verse 25. It says, But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Whether in those times that we can't find the words to pray, do you know the Spirit is there for us? He's making that intercession for us between us and God. So we don't need to make great long prayers. God knows what we stand in need of and when we can't put that into words the Holy Spirit does it for us and He intercedes with us before God. Christ goes on and He tells His disciples there He says then after this manner pray ye. Now a lot of people will call this the Lord's Prayer. But I, I don't really think this is the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is in John chapter 17. That's a prayer that Christ prays for His people. This, though, is an example prayer that Christ is giving to His disciples. He's giving to the people there. And He says, when you pray, well, pray like this. So this is the example prayer that Christ gives. Now, this prayer actually comes to us in, in three different parts. There's the first part, which is adoration. Our, our expressing our love and our adoration to God. The second part, then, is our petition to God. Asking for the things that we need. And then the third part is just a doxology. When you get to that point, you just break out in praise. Christ begins and he says, Our Father, which art in heaven. Notice that it's our Father. What is your Father? Your Father is a progenitor, right? He's the creator. He's the one that made you. He is uh, the beginner, if you will, the originator. Malachi chapter 2 it's the last book before you get to the New Testament in verse 10 Malachi says have we not all one father hath not one God created us why do we deal treacherously every man with his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers this enemy proclaims do we not have one father 
Did not the same God create all of us? He is our Father. He is our provider and our mentor. He's the one who gives us all that we need. He's the one that instructs us. Uh, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Hear ye the instruction of your father and attend to no understanding for I give you good doctrine forsake ye not my law. He's given us a good doctrine. He's given us good teaching and he tells us to instruct ourselves and he gives us instruction. Uh, uh, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way that he should go and when he is old he will not apart from it. God trains up his children. Believe it or not, babies come with an instruction manual. Haven't you ever wondered why they don't give you one at the hospital? But they do. It's right here. It's called the Holy Bible. It is God's instruction manual to his people. It is our Father providing for us the instructions that we need in this world. Our Father, our Creator, our Mentor has given us His Word to guide us. Our Father, hallowed be Thy name. Hallowed means sanctified. Set apart for worship. Holy, sacred, reverend. It is God who is worthy of our worship. No one else. Psalms. Psalms 8. O Lord... Our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glories above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, and thou, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man? that thou art mindful of him. And the Son of Man, that thou visitest him. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to give dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, yea, the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea and whatsoever passes through the paths of the seas. O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name. What is man that he should think of us? We are nothing. We are but a drop in a bucket. But the Son of Man the Son of Man that thou visitest, he sent him to visit us. The Son of Man, for thy sake you made him a little lower than the angels. Did you know that Christ was made a little lower than the angels? Christ did not come to save angels. Christ came to save men. So he was made as a man. But he was crowned with glory and honor. Thou made him, madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hand. Christ has dominion over all things. All of the works of God's hands. Listen, he says, when I consider the heavens, the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, God made it all and he gave Christ dominion over it all and he sent him here to us. Made a little lower than the angels that he would come and to save a sinful man 
and reserve us unto himself. He is the one that is deserving of our praise. He is the one that's deserving of our adoration. He is the one that is hallowed. He tells us in Isaiah that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, if I can find that. I think it's Isaiah 22. Isaiah 55, I'm sorry. Isaiah 55, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. How high are the heavens above the earth? That's an immeasurable distance. God says, that's how far my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. We got some pretty smart men here that we, we tend to give a lot, of, a lot of praise to sometimes. You know, we talk about how smart they are. God's thoughts are higher than theirs as far as the heavens are above the earth. That's why He is worthy of our praise and our adoration. That's why His name is to be hallowed. When we pray, hallowed be Thy name. Jonathan's going through 1 John 9, and, and, or 1 John, and this hit me the other day as he was preaching. 1 John 3, 3 9. I'm sorry, 3-1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. What manner of love God has bestowed upon us. This God that is worthy of our adoration, this God who has created this world, who sent His Son to die for us. This God whose thoughts are higher than ours as the heavens are above the earth has bestowed His love on us. That we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew Him not. But think about that. This God this creator, God, bestowed his love upon us. First uh, John 4.19 says, We love him because he first loved us. Is he worthy of our adoration? The fact that he bestowed his love upon us should make us fall on our knees and cry out to him. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom. A kingdom is just something that a king reigns over. God is our king. And he has a kingdom. And he's praying that that kingdom would come. That it would come in power, that it would come in fullness, that it would come in righteousness. Where does God reign? Does he reign in your heart today? God, let that kingdom come into my heart today in its fullness in its righteousness in power Lord let your kingdom come and let your will be done notice it's his will that's to be done not ours how often do we pray God give me what I want God give me what I ask for rather than praying God show me what your will is in my life. 
show me, Lord, what it is that you would have me to do. It's your will. We are to conform to him and to his will, not try to conform him to ours. Verse 33 of chapter 6, it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be given unto you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We are to be seeking his kingdom, his righteousness, his will. Not trying to somehow shape him into ours. And he says, as it is in heaven. You ever thought how God's will is done in heaven? <laughs> I think about his will there in heaven. I think about it being done completely, fully, perfectly. No hesitation, no murmuring, no complaining. God wills it and it's done. Matthew 26 Verse 53, Christ says, Thinkest thou not, or thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? I want you to stop and think about that for a second. Christ says, I could pray to the Father, and he would send me twelve legions of angels. Legions is defined to be anywhere between 3,000 and 6,000. So let's use the small end of that. That's 36,000 angels. Christ says, I can pray right now, and my Father would send me 36,000 angels. Go back into 2 Kings in chapter 19 there. Sennacherib's army is camped around Jerusalem, and God sends one angel. And in one night, that one angel slays 185,000 people. Just imagine what 36,000 angels could do. Power beyond our imagination. And they are there to do God's will. In the kingdom of heaven and all throughout his creation. They are there. He made them for the purpose of carrying out His will. So how is will, God's will done in heaven? Fully? Perfectly? Completely? Without murmuring. Then we come to the second portion of the prayer, the petition, where he says, give us this day our daily bread. Notice he says, give us this day, today. Not praying for the rest of our lives. Not praying, Lord, give me today everything I'm going to need for the next 25 years. Give me what I need today, Lord. Why can, why can I do that? Why can I just say, Lord, give me what I need today? Because I know He's going to be here tomorrow too. And the day after, and the day after. And really, if I look back at my past life and, and am honest, I can see where He has been there the whole way and has provided for me everything that I need. not wealthy I don't have a lot but I can look back and I can say I have never truly been in need there have been times that I may not have been fed as well as I would like to have been fed <laughs> might not have had as much as I would like to have had but I have never truly been in need for anything because God is always there to provide he says give me this day our daily bread that word daily there means indispensable 
give us today what is indispensable to us. What we cannot do without. I read this and I, and I think back to Exodus chapter 16 where God sends the manna in to feed the children of Israel. Might not have been all they wanted, but it was enough. It was what they needed for that day. And, and remember, it was only for that day. They were not to pick up any extra, unless it was the Sabbath. And if they did, what happened? It rotted. And it stank. Give us today what we stand in need of today. Now, I, I don't want you to think that, that he's speaking here against having a savings account or, or putting some, some uh, bread or whatever in the freezer, okay? But that's not what we are to rely on. That, that is not what we're to, to well, it's just not what we're to rely on. Freezers can break down. I, I have at work a couple of times had a freezer break down or the power go out and everything that was in there was ruined. It was lost. But you know what? I still ate that night. I still had what I needed. It's a story that I, I don't remember exactly where it is now about the the wealthy man. He, he had a he had a good year. His crops were really great, and he says, "I tell you what, I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger barns, and I'm going to put all this stuff in that barn and I'm just going to take it easy. I'm going to eat and drink and be merry, and I'm just going to." I'm just going to have a good time because I've got all that I need. The Lord said, no, you know what? Tonight, tonight I'm going to require you. Don't depend on your storehouses. Don't depend on your bank accounts. All of that can be gone in an instant. Depend on God. Give us our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our debts. We could say forgive us our sins. Forgive us our transgressions. I think when we use the word debt there, sometimes we think about monetary debts. That's not the only debts we have. He's talking about our transgressions. The things that we have have done to or against other people. Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32. It says, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Why are we to forgive those that we have debts or have debts owed to us? Why are we to forgive them? We are to forgive them because we have been forgiven. And I think he's saying here, he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We are to forgive because we've been forgiven. And if we are not forgiving the way that we have been forgiven, then are we truly living the Christian lifestyle that we are supposed to be living? Are we truly walking out that work? And quite honestly, I, I would look and say, are you truly a Christian? Are you truly saved? Have you been called from that death and sin to a life in Christ? If you have been, we're required to forgive because we have been 
forgiven. And he says, lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. James chapter 1 says that no man is tempted of God. No man is tempted of God, but it's of our own lust or desires that we are tempted. It's James. James 1.13 Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. God does not tempt us. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Brother, let me tell you, if you're tempted to sin today, it is not God tempting you. It is your own lust. It is your own desire. And he says, Lord, lead us not into that temptation. Lord, take us away from that. Give us a way out. has conceived it bringeth forth sin and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death and he says do not err my beloved brethren do not err do not wander away is what that means do not wander away when you are tempted continue to seek God's will and don't wander Then we come to the doxology. And he says, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Back over in First Chronicles. First Chronicles chapter twenty nine, verse eleven. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, and the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. It's the doxology. It's all about God. It's His power. It's His glory. It's His kingdom. It's His righteousness. It's His victory. And we all are participants or recipients of that. Then He says, Amen. Of a truth. All that I've told you is true. Give him adoration. Then offer your petitions. And then go back to a doxology, praising God for what he's done. He says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. It's because we have been forgiven that we forgive. If we're not forgiven, then we probably are not forgiving. The forgiveness is the assurance, if you will, that we have been forgiven. So forgive those who trespass against us. Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their 
reward. But when thou fast, anointest thy head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which is in secret, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. We're back again to the purpose. Why are you fasting? Are you fasting to draw closer to God? Are you fasting uh, to, to, to Him? Or are you fasting for men to see? Are you trying to get glory of men? Don't let them know you're fasting. And then he says, lay not up treasures for yourself in heaven, or excuse me, on earth, where moth does rust, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break in and steal. Brother, if we're laying up our treasures here, not only do they deteriorate, rust, corrupt but again they can be gone in no time whether you, you fill your house with with treasures and then the fire comes and you've lost everything but if you're laying up your treasures in heaven there's nothing that's going to take those away Lay up your treasures in heaven through the alms that you present here on earth. The deeds of mercy that you do for those around about you, do them in the name of the Lord. Lay that up in heaven. A lot of people have a problem with the, the concept of you getting crowns in heaven. I don't really have a problem with that concept. The Bible teaches us that we are going to get crowns in heaven for the, for the things, the alms, if you will, that we do here on earth. And that's all right. I'm thankful for them. But you know where those crowns are going to wind up? At the feet of Jesus. Why? Because He is the only one that is worthy. Do your alms. Lay up your treasures in heaven. And they cast them at the